If you're like me, you spend a lot of time thinking about how you can get more done at work. But what if instead we focused more on doing our best work? This week, we're talking about tapping into your creative side. This is Game Plan. Hi, I'm Francesca Levy. And I'm Rebecca Greenfield. And this week, we are talking about the best ways to work for fulfilling your creative potential, which sounds like an ad for a webinar or something, or like (laughs) some kind of infomercial. Yeah, but another way to think about creativity is another fun buzzword, which is innovation, which I think is the same thing. Yeah, as with everything, there's like a business reason why companies would want people to be more creative in their jobs. Yeah, I think that is what separates good businesses from bad businesses. And companies know that if they have creative or innovative employees, that's how they can stand out. And then as an employee, if you're creative and innovative, that's how you stand out. Right. Or how you not get replaced by a robot. Yeah, we have to stay one step ahead of the robots. But how do we get to a place then where we can become more creative? And to be clear... We're not talking strictly about productivity hacks, although that might enter into it. And we have an episode about it. If you want to listen to it, check it out. (laughs) But being creative is not always, doesn't always go hand in hand with being productive. So we should talk a little bit about what we mean by being creative before we get into the how. So I think being productive is getting anything done. Yeah. (laughs) Getting tasks done. Yeah. Or like, you know, you could say answering emails is a type of productivity or like, finishing your to-do list right but creativity i guess in my mind is harder i actually came across a sort of working definition of creativity that researchers use there is a research journal about creativity it's called it's called the creativity research journal that's amazing yeah and um I actually found this really useful so the kind of working definition of creativity is originality plus effectiveness. So originality, like you're coming at an idea or a problem in a way that other people haven't done it. You're, you're doing something different. You have a fresh angle. But originality alone isn't enough because you could be a crazy person spouting random nonsense and that doesn't nece- it definitely makes you original, but it doesn't necessarily make you creative. So the effectiveness part is about creating value. I like that definition because it opens up creativity to mean so much more than just like making art. It can mean coming at any problem in a new way and, and being somewhat successful at it. We work in a world that's designed in many ways to kind of like make it harder to get to that place where we can access that creativity and those creative thoughts. So let's talk about some of the things that might inhibit creativity. Um, One of them is multitasking. Multitasking used to be, I feel like there was a time when multitasking was all the rage. Multitasking was supposed to be a core competency people had. And then I think the research community kind of came around to the idea that no one can really do more than one thing at the same time. It's just not physically possible. And in fact, you cost yourself a lot of productivity and brain power by trying to switch between tasks all the time. It feels like multitasking as some sort of productivity creativity hack was just an excuse for people to not do work, right? Well, I think it kind of came on in response to maybe like a new information age where everybody was like, oh, I can I can make more use out of my time. I can do all these things. I can check email and I can have a meeting and I can write a report <laughs> and everybody should be able to do that. There are all these 
you know, skills you're suddenly expected to have. For a while, multitasking seemed like one of them. But now, yeah, I can see how that's really bad for creativity because you're just distracting yourself from different things all the time. Yeah, I think one thing most people agree helps with creativity is just kind of clearing the decks for thinking about things in a fresh way. So that's why it can be helpful to get through your to-do list because, you know, maybe you need to empty or quiet that part of your brain that's always telling you you need to get stuff done. But multitasking seems like it goes against that because you're you're just never really finishing anything. You're just constantly moving between things. And I think what goes hand in hand with multitasking being a huge hindrance to getting anything done is the thing that enables us to multitask, which is different types of technology. So like you're answering chats and checking your email and I don't know, you're in a Google Doc. It's like seems impossible to just concentrate on one thing when you have all these notifications coming at you all the time. Yeah, and we have an episode about that too, right? About distractions. An episode for anything <laughs> and everything. But yeah, like tech feels to me like this really easily available scapegoat. Not saying that it isn't real, but that we all we all look at these infringements on our sort of time and creative process and say, like, if only we could get rid of all the notifications and the apps, you know, we'd reach this creative utopia. Like the digital detox has become a thing. Yeah, it's such a thing that there was an amazing Bloomberg Pursuits article about spas in New York City where they offer a digital detox package. So it's a, it's going to the spa and you give them your phone. Right. <laughs> but it's so in demand right. among busy professionals that they can sell these services. Right. They can. They, there's like a premium on telling people, we will rescue you from your devices by like putting your phone behind the reception desk while you get a massage. And it costs hundreds of dollars. Yeah. Maybe we don't need to go that far. Maybe we just need to separate from our apps enough to get a little bit bored. That's what our guest today is going to talk to us about. Manoush Samarodi is the host of the podcast Note to Self and author of the recent book Bored and Brilliant. Years ago, when Manoush had her first child, he had a bad case of colic, which meant that she had to push him around in a stroller all of the time without making any noise because it was the only way he would sleep. And she describes these hours she spent walking as kind of excruciating. But she realized later that all that time that her mind was free to wander without any interference and she found herself actually getting bored led to her having one of the most creative periods of her life. And that ended up turning into an experiment on her show, which became the book Bored and Brilliant. So what made you discover that being bored actually has a functional purpose? <laughs> I mean, it was a completely mundane personal experience uh, it, at in the workplace, of course, which was it was a couple years ago and the podcast was doing well, but you know, I wanted to kill it. Right. So I type a person sat down was like, okay, just come up with some really big creative ideas. And I really felt like there was nothing going on upstairs and it was different than writer's block. Cause I've had that before where you just, you know, wait for the muse. This felt like there was sand in my brain. And so I started to think back, like, wait a minute, when was the last time I had good ideas? And it was really sort of, you know, moments before I had kids and I used to take long showers or I used to stare out the window of the car or I'd take the subway ride. Um, 
And now I realized all those little cracks in my day, all those moments when I used to space out and like think of weird ideas. Now, of course, I was looking at my phone. There was not a single moment that I didn't take, whether it was waiting in line for coffee or waiting for my kids at school or whatever, that I wasn't looking at my phone. And so it started to make me think like, huh, well, what actually happens in our brains when we allow it to be bored? Or even more importantly, what happens if we never get bored? Is that like, we're always told that only boring people get bored, but actually maybe it's not such a great thing to never experience boredom. Yeah, so what does happen in our minds when we get bored? Well, it's super cool, actually. And we are at this amazing moment in neuroscience where they're starting to understand when what's going on when the mind begins to wander. And it turns out you ignite a network in your brain called the default mode. Uh, some scientists refer to it actually as the imagination network. And this is where we do our most original thinking. It's where we take two disparate ideas and smash it together to create something new. And it's also where we do something that I had never heard of before called autobiographical planning. And this this is where you look back at your life, you take note of the highs and the lows, and you build a personal narrative. And then you look forward and you think, well, what are the goals that I want to set? What are the things I want to do next? And how? what steps do I need to take to reach those goals? Um, so it's super important work, but you can't tap that brain power if you're constantly tapping a screen. Yeah, it sounds so exciting and productive, which is like the opposite of what we think of as boredom. How do we get ourselves into a place where we can basically allow our minds to wander without any real goal, especially if we have a goal and that's to become more creative and to inspire that kind of thinking? Totally. So, I mean, I think, you know, like to be clear, when the mind wanders, it can go to bad places. There is dysphoric mind wandering. That's where you ruminate like tomorrow when I'll be like, I should have told, you know, said on that podcast, like I should have explained that story or whatever. And you, you know, you can't stop being like, I should have said that or you ruminate on something that you should have done. There's also distracted mind wandering, whereas you never sort of settle into something. You just bounce around. But there's also positive, constructive mind wandering, which is the kind that we're talking about right here. And my theory, and I kind of proved it with, with some a bunch of people, is that if you know that boredom can have uh, a constructive outcome, if you allow yourself to pass through some of the very uncomfortable, sometimes even painful experiences that it can be to be bored and, and allow yourself to follow the thread of an idea, that is when you can reach... Um, either you coming up with a new idea or solving a problem. Um, I think it's being more comfortable with the idea of being bored. And it's kind of funny to even say that because I think, you know, a decade ago before we had a smartphone, no one would have actually had to say, you know, let's name it. Let's talk about boredom. Let's, let's make time for boredom. Let's celebrate boredom. But I think we're finding that with a lot of human things that we took for granted before a lot of the technology, we, we have to do those things. Eye contact, for example, conversation, um, patience. We're starting to see more and more things that were just sort of normal human states that have to be um, reclaimed because our gadgets simply don't prioritize them. Yeah, you've brought up technology a couple of times and how that's filled the cracks in your day when you might have had the time for this thinking. So how do you break away from your phone, basically, to get to this boredom time? 
So what the book, Bored and Brilliant, is based on is a week of challenges that I did with 20,000 of my listeners a couple years ago, where every day they listen to a short little podcast that explains some of the neuroscience, some of the design of the technology. And then we gave them a little newsletter that suggested a little sort of behavior tweak to try and then report back because, ironically, we partnered with apps. So we had people reporting how many minutes a day they were spending on their phone, how many pickups they were on their phone. And we also got thousands of stories from people. And so what we did was just little, little changes that we're asking people to make so that they become more purposeful about how they use their technology and more comfortable with the concept of getting bored. So for example, um, one of the challenges is called delete that app. And the idea is just take the app that's driving you bonkers bananas. I want you to both think of it right now. Okay. Yeah. Everybody listening, just think of the app. (laughs) You know the one. Just take it off your phone just for the day. We're not saying like quit. We're not saying like never put it back on just for one day. See what it's like not to have Twitter calling out to you to be refreshed or, you know, every time you have a thought and you're like, oh, that would be an amazing tweet. Maybe not tweeting it, maybe not sharing it because maybe it's not good enough. But and if you sat on it for a little while, you'd realize that. So um, so we, it was really interesting to see how people reacted to that. Um, should I ask you guys what would be your app? I think I shamed Francesca into doing. This. Yeah, you did. I she made me delete Twitter um, and I and oh, I, it was Twitter. OK, it was Twitter. And I um, I was having a real Twitter problem. Um, particularly after the election, I was just like super absorbed in news and it wasn't productive or constructive for me at all. And everything got better when I did that. But Manoush, I, <laughs> I, I downloaded it again. It's back. I don't know. Like, did but, I undo? I think that's okay. No, <laughs> yeah. no, no. Like what this is not about is judging or shaming. Like there were some people, and I think like this is part of the self-knowledge element, right? Like there are some people who cannot handle Twitter. And I did have listeners who were like, it's off my phone and it's staying off my phone because I don't like how I am around it. But there were other people who were like, huh, that was really interesting to see what that was like. Now I'm more aware and I'm okay with it, you know? And and then there were other people who were like, I've decided for one day a month, I'm going to take Twitter off my phone just because I liked how it felt, but I don't want it all the time. I mean, it's kind of like drinking, right? Like there are some people who are like, you know what? I just don't drink. It doesn't agree with me. And there are other people who like to have a glass of wine every night and they're fine with that. Like, it's like, I don't think the answer is on or off. Like it's not a binary with technology. It's about figuring out where you land on the sort of spectrum. It's about self-regulation. It's about making sure that Twitter and all those other awesome things, because they are awesome, but let's make sure that they're helping us and improving our lives as opposed to becoming our taskmasters, which a lot of times they have become. I mean, look at the president, right? Yeah. (laughs) So I think about some of the challenges in your book and how they should be really simple, like deleting an app. Um, but actually <laughs> yeah. they feel really hard. Like one of them you have is is basically to keep your device out of reach as long as you're in motion. So you, you shouldn't you shouldn't have your phone really available if you're if you're traveling or walking. And I read that it sounds really simple and it actually it made me kind of like physically ill thinking like how would I walk around without my it's phone? So sometimes my phone is in my I... hand when I'm walking from place to place, but it's at least in my pocket. Oh, me too. And so I just wonder, like, 
How did you come up against a lot of resistance when you suggested these things? How did you talk people through it? Like, how do you get people to make that leap when our devices are kind of designed to keep us addicted to them? So it's funny that you mentioned that it sounds really easy. That is the one challenge that always wins over the skeptics, the people who are like, what are you even talking about? This is so not a problem. I just put my phone away. Ask them to do that challenge. I have had so many people come back to me and be like, Oh my God, I was so wrong. In part because we realized that um, it's a, it's become a reflex. I had one guy say to me, God, it was just like when I was a smoker. Like he associated, he'd get off the subway, he'd light a cigarette. Now what do we do? We get off the subway, we check our email. It's become a linked habit to so many things in our day to the point where we don't even know that we're doing it. And we're not even really looking for anything in particular. Um, and that's where, you know, for people who are more data-minded, that's where our partnership with the apps, I think, really made a difference. So I'll use myself as an example. I had figured that I was checking my phone like 30 times a day. I thought that seemed like a lot. And yeah, I like my phone. Um, but no, I was checking 90 to 100 times a day. And I didn't even realize it. So for me, it's about, I, I don't want this to be a digital detox because I kind of think those are bull. Like we have to live with this technology and I want to, it definitely is, makes me more, makes it possible for me to be a working mom, frankly, but I want it to be on my terms. So this isn't just a digital detox. Um, you know, it's nice to get away from technology because it makes us feel better, but the whole point of this was to become more creative. So I'm wondering what you and the 20,000 listeners who did this with you discovered about your creativity through the boredom? Well, I mean, what I got were some amazing stories from things as mundane as like, I figured out, you know, how to make something amazing with the leftovers I had stuck in my uh, refrigerator to I figured out how to resolve an issue that I had with someone at work. And, you know, the work thing, I, I think I I've just been sort of on the road with the Born and Brilliant book tour. And the theme that I keep hearing is people talking about burnout at work, that the pings, the slack, the email, the all the different HR websites that you have to log into and submit this and that and check whether you got your review and blah, blah, blah. It's driving people to the point where they feel like they can't actually do what they've been hired to do, the hard, deep work, whether that is coding or writing uh, reports or whatever it is that they do. People are feeling it. It seems like the, the key ingredient in every example is like you need to create that space where you don't have any goal, where you're you're just kind of aimless. And I, I wonder if you get any pushback from people who are like, how could I do that during my workday? For me, the answer was, and you know, this isn't for everyone, I joined a silent workspace um, where you're not allowed to talk, you're not even allowed to eat. And um, I just, now my team knows, like, I don't get there very often, but when I'm at my silent workspace, like, it's resetting the expectations that they can, you know, either Slack with me or text with me all day long. But they know that, like, at the end of the day, that's when I come back with the goods. Like, that's when I get my best writing done. Um, and so, you know, my fantasy, and I did actually hear from one person on the road who told me they have this, um, that every office space would have, like, a silent workspace. And you know, and, and, and we have cafeterias, we have these open space offices. Why don't we have places where people can actually go to do the, the work that they cannot do if they are interrupted? 
Have you seen changes in your work from going to the silent workspace and doing some of these other hacks in your book? I wrote the book there. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think like I have tried everything, which is, I don't know about you guys, but for me, like to write the podcast, I need four hours straight. Like I can get up for like, you know, bathroom breaks and snacks, but I need four hours straight. And I just, I have tried to do it in little half hours there, half hours there. I've tried to write it at my desk when my team members are, we work in like this little pod area. It just doesn't work for me. So it's either a flight or it's time in my silent workspace. And that is when I make the stuff that has the best longevity. When I come up with my like ideas that not every, you know, no hot takes are happening, you know, like this is when I actually do the real, the, the harder where I've come up with ideas that, that, that are not all over Twitter. Like they take longer. You can't explain them in 140 characters. So for me, I think, you know, it's very much tied up in, um, my livelihood now that I need this time and space because I think it's my point of difference from other, um, from other journalists. So just a final question. What, what is the thing since the possible outcomes are so different and the ways that you arrive at them are so different? What's the thing that you hope people get out of reading your book or understanding, you know, doing these challenges? Like what's the ideal place to end up? To me, it's about redeveloping that capacity for patience um, and patience for yourself, patience to know that you might have a thought and then it takes a while and it might turn into like something super mediocre, but maybe you just need to hang in there and go for a very long, maybe even boring walk. And you might actually get to something outstanding. I think we've become so used to getting a response quickly getting our lunch quickly, like everything quick. But actually the one thing our phones and our gadgets cannot give us is more time. And we need to redevelop this capacity to be patient with ourselves and and let ourselves become um, better thinkers. It's that simple and that hard. Well, thank you so much for talking to us, Manoush. This is really fascinating. Oh, you guys, thanks for thanks for trying to delete that app. I love that you gave it a go. <laughs> Anusha's approach to disconnecting is about moderation, which I really love because I feel like a lot of the digital detox literature really pushes people to be extreme. Like there was this guy, Paul Miller, who a few years ago, he took a whole year off from the Internet and he wrote a weekly column about it, which I guess he didn't use Some, the internet someone for. Someone else published it on the internet for him. And his company still paid him. And then a year later, he wrote about his experience. And it was pretty interesting because in the first few months, things went really well. He lost a lot of weight, which was interesting. But he also was really creative. He said his editor told him he was writing too much. So clearly, like, the boredom thing worked for him, right? But then he said after a while, it was really socially isolating. He describes basically a depression that he went into after this digital detox for a whole year. And I think, again, we discount the importance of socializing and communication as part of the creative process. Like there's this whole you need to clear your mind and be alone and not have any distractions. But I think also being social and communicating is the other half of it. And so that's why I kind of like Manoush's more moderate approach. Like she 
Still checked her email? Yeah, she talked about her silent workspace that she goes to. And I really like that she she kind of found what works for her, which was a partial disconnection. At least like it's helpful for her when she's doing a certain kind of task to not have anybody talking around her. But she doesn't need to completely deprive herself of any access to Internet. And, you know, she probably allows herself to check email now and then. And I think you're absolutely right. Like we wouldn't have these technologies if they didn't help us in some way. So to just assume that all we need is freedom from them and then, you know, we'll have this creative rebirth. I think it's too simplistic and we should let ourselves off the hook a little bit for liking using the apps we use and, you know, the Internet. That's said, I've been trying to do some of her disconnecting techniques since we talked to her. And so on the subway, I've been trying really hard not to reach my phone, which is really difficult. Incredibly. And trying to see where my mind wanders. But it definitely isn't wandering to creative things all the time. Mostly it's like, oh, what should I be looking at on my phone? Or <laughs> I don't even know. It's, or people also think you're looking at them weird, like they're not used to seeing your eyes. It's true. We are we are in a culture now where like you're the weird one if you're not looking at your phone. It's a fun challenge though. I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah, I um. So I was kind of forced into this boredom place uh, very recently. I took my son to the doctor and. We ended up having a two and a half hour wait in the waiting room because they were like crazy backed up and I couldn't take out my phone or entertain myself with even like the things I had in my bag, like a newspaper and a magazine, because that would just distract my son and then we'd get in a fight over the phone. And so really, I had to focus on keeping him from driving everyone else in the waiting room crazy um, while I myself couldn't actually zone out and entertain myself. So. We did things like walking around the waiting room and reading every piece of like material in the doctor's waiting room about their practice and like CPR. And I would just like read to him off the posters like they were really interesting or like he would crawl under chairs and crack people up and then I would have to go chase after him. And it, it was an experience that I would have just found purely infuriating on another occasion but because we had this conversation with Manoush I was like oh my god I'm getting the gift of this boredom time like I'm becoming so creative with how I'm using this time and it really did feel like it opened up a space in my mind uh, to kind of take in what was going on around me now I didn't necessarily go home and write a novel after that but it made me realize that you you can you get these times in your life and you can reframe them as positive if you look at like, OK, I'm giving my brain a rest. I'm not able to look at my phone right now. I have to make the best of the super boring situation. Yeah, it's just kind of nice to experience the world in a different way. Yeah. Hmm. I just odd myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's do some half-baked takes. Half-Baked Takes. If you'd like to give us your Half-Baked Take, you can call and leave a voicemail at 212-617-0166. In fact, you can call that hotline and leave us a message about anything you like. Like this caller who had something to say about our recent episode on how the stable job is basically dead. Hi there. I just listened to the story about the changing American workers, the gig economy, and I wonder if the state of workers being well-paid and well-compensated in this paternalistic company structure didn't contribute to the demise of said existence. These companies, I'm, I'm, I live in California, and the, uh, some of the pensions are extraordinary. You hear stories, anecdotal, of course, for firefighters who 
on the last three years of their employment, they load up their shifts so that they can get this maximum pay for the rest of their lives. And then people are living so much longer. Did they think about that at the end of the war? How much longer people would be living and to be able to pay something out forever? Anyway, my whole statement about life is it's just not that simple. So I think your author made some very good points about why this came about, but it's just not that simple. There are larger forces at work. I enjoyed your show. It's the first time I listened to it. Thanks very much. And I'm Chris from uh, Auburn, California. Bye-bye. Becca, what is your half-baked take this week? So my half-baked take is about how I have a pretty high bar for when I will engage with a post on Facebook. Okay, let's hear more. Well, people post things on Facebook and they beckon you to respond. And often, you know, I get that feeling, get that itch, but I will only respond. I don't know what the bar is, but there are just so many notifications if you do respond. Because if you respond, then you get notifications anytime anyone else responds, anytime anyone else engages with the post. I've, in fact engaged with a Facebook post and then deleted my response because you know you can just uh, uncheck those notifications can you I don't know it's very confusing (laughs) it does involve a a fair amount of clicking I think my bar for posting on social media is pretty high in general and then responding is even higher so do you find yourself like tempted to engage with a post and then you're like I'm not going to do this because it's going to ruin the rest of my day yeah exactly so when someone posts a cute baby picture you're not like oh I He's growing up so no. fast. I give it a like. I'm very generous with likes and faves because those are well, those limited. are easy. Yeah, yeah. And leave so I think that's another side half big take. Is likes like, are cheap. There's no reason Comments. not to like something. Comments. Yeah. I'm making a money yeah. symbol with my hands. Well, as a person with a kid, I can say that I feel obligated to remark on other people's cute kids oh, um, because you need to hear about how cute your kid are. Your kid is. It's a part of being a parent. It's one of the only now things I that make it worthwhile. Now I feel really bad. <laughs> yeah. Tell people their kids are cute and then disable the notifications. There are three half-baked takes in this take. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Heavy. Francesca, what's your half-baked take? Um, we've done various half-baked takes about coffee before, but mine is about uh, finding a coffee shop where the barista will at least look at you with a smile of acknowledgement. So... Like, I go into the same coffee shop every morning, and I get a coffee. And they happen to know my order, which is lovely, and it makes me feel very special. But I've, like, started going to coffee shops and stopped going there because after a year of going there and ordering the exact same thing every morning, they didn't even give me that look of recognition. Like, I'm not asking for you to memorize my order. It's nice. Certainly, you don't have to know my name. But just exchange a look with me. That shows that this is not the first time you've ever seen me in your life. Like, we're all living in this world together. Make it a little easier. So the half-baked take is like, you don't need to know my order, but smile, please. Or give me a look of recognition. Yeah. Do that. Do a nod. Not telling people to smile. Yeah. We don't never do that. That is not us. No, no. Game plan does not tell people to smile. Yeah, I just, I recently, uh, it was just so satisfying, had the barista at the coffee shop knew the order. And that has never happened to me in my life feels so good doesn't it it really did yeah my my place that i go to um because it's a transitional time of year they know that i'm switching between hot and iced versions of my order oh yeah so they just say hot or iced they know it's a soy latte so great (laughs) don't put that in (laughs) this has been half big takes half big takes thank you for listening to game plan you can find me on twitter at francesca today 
And you can find me on Twitter at RZ Greenfield. As always, you can call into our hotline at 212-617-0166. Leave us a message. Tell us about your half-baked takes or any other opinions you have. We might play it on the show. Subscribe to our newsletter if you want to hear from us throughout the week and get cool extras. Um, you can do that just by going to Bloomberg.com slash newsletters and checking game plan. If you like the show, please head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and rate and review and subscribe. I check it a lot. So please leave one. This show is produced by Liz Smith and Magnus Henriksen. Head of podcasts is me. See you next week. Bye. If you're like me, you spend a lot of time thinking about how you can get more done at work. But what if instead of doing more work, we did less work and just relaxed? <laughs> this is game plan. <laughs> no, sorry. I went off script.